Say say something now. Now. And then uh, something now. Talk a little louder. A little louder. Yeah, don't e- don't even be nervous about sounding super loud. Oh, okay. you'll be great. Okay, then I'll try and sound uh, as normal as I can. All right, all right, and I'm, I'm gonna move this a little closer to you. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Punk Rock Barbershop. Black artists and black creatives talking about their origin stories, their life, how they turned into the person that they are today, with a specific focus on white influences and white artists and works of art made by white people that they have affection for. I am your host, Michael Robertson Reed, and we are coming to you from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, also known as Marion Anderson City. And this is a bit of a departure for us. We have a, uh, a very unique and special guest that I am honored to have in the studio. So special guest, why don't you say hello? Hello, everyone. And uh, can you tell the people what your name is? Eugene Reed. And how do we know each other? Uh, I am your oldest brother. Yes, you are my oldest brother. Uh, so I'm, I'm very happy to have you here. This is the, uh, the first family member to be interviewed for the Punk Rock Barbershop. And can you um, tell the, you know, I'm, I might have mentioned this, uh, you might have heard this on the interview with Corey, but I usually make references to the five people that listen to this podcast. I think we might be up to ten people. Okay. that listen to this podcast. So for the 10 people that listen to this podcast, uh, can you tell them why you are in why you are in Philadelphia or Marion Anderson City? Why are you in Marion Anderson City this weekend? Well, we came here this weekend to uh, celebrate our parents' 50th wedding anniversary. Yes, we did. Which was July 19th. Yes. Uh, and the, you, you must take credit. The, uh, the idea for the anniversary dinner, I believe, was yours. Is that correct? To some degree, yeah. I mean, you're the one that really proposed it to Terrence and I, okay. I feel like. So, um, all right. So, so yeah, this will be a, an interesting interview because some of this stuff I know about you, but I'll ask you some things that I don't know because I don't know every single facet of your life. Uh, so let's let's start with your origin story. So you were born in 1969. Is that correct? Yes. All right. That's what they tell me. That, I that's, can't confirm that. That's what the birth certificate says. Yes. And we grew up in a suburb of Los Angeles, but you were not actually born in California. Where were you born? I was born in uh, New York City. Okay. And mom and dad, how long... Were they there before you all moved to California? About a year. Okay. Yeah. So, so was about a year old when uh, we drove out, or I rode out. Gotcha. Yeah. So you you them. you really have no memories of being in New York. None whatsoever. Okay. But and so most of your experiences were growing up in Southern California. Yep, they were. Okay. So, um, kind of give me yes. You know, I mean, so what was like. What were mom and dad like back then? Because um, so part of something that I'm interested in exploring is most of my memories of childhood. I have no idea how accurate they are because the older I get, the more that I realize that people tend to remember things emotionally as opposed to factually. So 
it, like, you know, I've I've had numerous instances where it's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure this thing happened. And then someone shows me a document. It's like that actually didn't happen. So I know what my impressions of mom and dad were like. What what were your impressions? What was life like before I showed up? Uh, well, we did things like normal families. Mm-hmm. do. Uh, went to school. Yeah. After a while anyway. Sure. After yeah. a couple of years. Your second brother popped up about a year into us being into California. Right, right. So it was us uh, doing things, visiting family, mm-hmm. uh, doing the Southern California recreational activities. Which are? Disneyland, Knott's Berry Farm. Not so much Magic Mountain because that's kind of when you're a teenager and you want to do that on your own or with your own right. peer group. But those two mainly... Uh, visiting other family, or I should say families of uh, your parents' friends mm-hmm. and the like. Standard things. Gotcha, gotcha. And um, what year did Grandma move out to California? Do you remember that? Okay, you're talking to the brother who has dates and places mixed up. All jumbled all up? All the time. okay. So, so, so th- what you're about to say, you, you either don't know the answer to that question or you're going to give an answer, which may be true, may not be true. Is that <laughs> later? Okay. So, uh, how old do you think you were when she moved out to California? Probably eight. Okay. Eight or nine. Yeah. And at that point, she was not married to Grandpa because she met him in California. Yes, that's correct. Did. Okay. And so for the for the people that are listening, um, so the the two grandparents that we really grew up with were my dad's mom and my dad's stepdad. So our um, my mom's parents, well, our 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 granddad William passed away before my parents were even married and then our mother's mother lived until about 1974 but so I didn't know either one of them and on our dad's side we didn't really know our dad's dad that well, well. oh I, I didn't when I was three mm-hmm. she came out to visit uh, Nana Delaporn yes she okay did. and then when she left I pretty much demanded that she not go okay and so I was proceeded to uh board the plane with her oh really yeah okay I, I didn't want her to go you, you just had you had such a, a fun time with yeah, her sure okay did, sure very did. cool and so mom bought me a ticket sent my clothes out and for the rest of the summer i stayed with her in and she was she was in new jersey mm-hmm. okay that's very cool yeah uh i mean do you do you have any um you know, any sort of specific memories with her, just like impressions of who she was? I mean, because clearly since I did not know her, I mean, she's sort of just like a mythic figure to me. I don't really have I, an I idea I don't specifically, but, you know, I knew that's where I wanted to be, and okay. so I was. The, the only memory I have, of course, is me messing around with a beehive and paying the price for it. You got stung a lot? Quite a bit. Okay. Yep. Well, uh Good luck with that next time. Well, I, I don't bees don't bother me now. Okay, yeah, that's so. not, nothing wrong with that. Um, and did you did you see Granddad Sam that much? I mean, I, the only times I remember seeing him, Dad took me to Chicago in like 1987, um, and we visited him there, and then 
one of those trips when we were in Chicago, maybe for a family reunion, maybe mm-hmm. not. But I, I feel like Terrence was there, too, and we went and visited him. I feel like this was like 1994. Okay. I feel like that was the, the last time that I saw him. Well, and in... I wasn't on that trip, but okay. Terrence and I were on a trip in 1998. Right, and right. We were all there, and that's where the picture came from. Gotcha. That's gotcha. when uh, he had had Trevor with him. Okay, okay. So, um, so something that I, I'm wondering about when when you're a kid, Grandma comes out to California. She meets Kenneth Mack, who they later marry, and that's you know the grandpa that we spent most of our time with. Do you have any idea, like who, like? Were you sort of like, who is this dude or? Pretty much. Okay. Well, we were at her apartment, which was uh, down the street from us in Altadena. And uh, we were in the pool, Terrence and I. Mm-hmm. And so as as uh, Future Gramps tells it, that we're in the pool up to our, you know, up to our eyes looking at him okay so the the you're the, the the eyeballs are like up you know so you're sort of yeah. peeking up from the water all you can the see crocodile is thing the crocodile eyes all right so yeah. you, you were giving him the uh the the stink eye as we yeah, call it in philadelphia much, pretty much is like well, okay who is this dude okay so okay that was, that was the first impression gotcha gotcha he, he later won us over with uh his uh wit and his uh good cooking yeah absolutely yeah he's a very very and good very, humor yes very good humor good man honor honored to be his grandson so tell the people what do you what do you do for a living? What's your what's your job? Uh essentially the place that I work we uh modify aircraft. Right. But so. you you're an aerospace engineer. Yes. Yeah, there's no 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 need to be uh no need to be modest about it. You're an aer- aerospace well, engineer. Well, I'm not in the space part. Okay. And so you're, yeah, so I, I didn't realize this, but within aerospace, there's aeronautical engineering, correct? And then there's yeah. something space from, I don't know, maybe they just call well, it. Well, it started out as aeronautics. And then when they branched off into space, they said, well, let's add that part too. Because, okay. You know, the only thing that separates the two is altitude. Pretty gotcha. Much. So how did you, uh, and so as a, as an aeronautical engineer, what specifically do you do? Like, like what is, what does your week consist of? Uh, writing reports. Okay. Essentially what we do is we certify aircraft modifications through the FAA. So we write up all the technical reports and, uh, whatever issues need to be ironed out. We iron out all those issues and demonstrate to the FAA that, uh, this aircraft in this particular state to which we've changed it is viable and is safe to fly. That's pretty much it. Okay. So, so it sounds like a a certain bit of it is uh, like government compliance of, you know, it's it's nothing but nothing but government compliance. So, (laughs) so you, you somehow have to take the, you know, the machine as is, you have to mesh it with the government compliance and also, you know, prove to the government, this thing isn't going to just crash and, kill a billion people right well okay. and it starts out when we get it it starts out as a already government compliant vehicle okay and as such it has to remain as such until somebody can prove that in an altered state it still does what it's supposed to do and still maintains its uh, margins of safety and in an altered state do you mean like weather like if there's a rainstorm or if it's all 20 it. years old okay all yeah of it all right, so so you, you you basically have to prove that not only is it working now, but it's not going to if it 
becomes five degrees hotter tomorrow. The thing isn't going to explode or something. Right. Okay. And, and if it's 20 years down the road, it's still going to function as it's supposed to. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so, uh, like, what do you, what specifically do you do? Like, like, what is what does your week look like? Because I have I have no idea about engineering, so I base all of my uh, assumptions on what I see in the movies. So I, you know, I I just see a lot of guys in short sleeve white. I, yeah, I basically base all of my engineering uh, stereotypes off of Apollo Eleven or First Man or the. NASA documentaries that have coming out now. So I just imagine a bunch of guys with crew cuts, short sleeve, button up shirts, skinny black ties, smoking and drinking coffee all day. You know, that's pretty much 1950s, 1960s uh, imagery. Mm-hmm. It's not nearly as that exciting. Okay. I mean, they show all the crisis situations, sure. which is like, okay, you know, decisions have to be made now and life or death or, you know, to, from A to B to C and on and on. Right. Whereas, no, we, it's a little slower than that. Okay. All right. We go through all the regulations, make sure you're complying with them. Check with the FAA, make sure that the regulations you're looking at are still current Mm -hmm. because they've always got something else in the works, depending on what is happening in the industry. Um, And then you keep going through that process until you both come together and are in agreement with, uh, with the end product okay. that you were trying. Well, first you define your product and then you tell them, here's how we're going to change X, Y, and Z so that there's no surprises. Anywhere. Sure. Sure. And then uh, you go through that process until you're done. And that depending on the size of the project, it could be several months to several years. Okay. So. Does anything zany happen in the engineering world? Like, I don't know. Does, uh, because so, I, I remember hearing stories about college kids at MIT, like they would like literally take someone's car apart and then put it in their dorm room and like reassemble it. So then like someone would wake up and walk into their living room and it's like, oh, like there's a car there. Do you guys do anything like that? Or I'm guessing not since you're no. full grown adults who if you did that, you'd probably lose your job, maybe. No, we're we're uh, I guess we don't have the time to do that. OK, yeah. Stuff. You're you're too busy actually working. Yes, n- yeah. N- not enough time to do a a, a three day long uh, practical joke. No. Okay. No. And I and I didn't see any of that in school either. People were way too busy. Okay. And, okay. You know, we would walk by all the uh, other colleges on campus and wonder how they got to party so much. Mm-hmm. And you know, here we are trudging back to the engineering building. Right. So. Right. Okay. How did you get into engineering? Well, I I don't know. I was always interested in gadgets, devices. I would always uh, take things apart at home. I didn't necessarily put them back together. Okay, but, but you you took you, you did the first apart. step. Okay, and and we lived under the shadow of you know Jet Propulsion Laboratory and mm-hmm. Caltech. Our our uh, elementary school was about three blocks away from Caltech. Oh, was it? So we would go there on occasion, just okay. on field trips. And was was this Hardy? Yeah, that was Hardy. Okay, yeah. So. So I've always been around, you know, technical things and mm-hmm. always, always enjoyed it. Had the, I don't know if you remember the space shuttle poster that was, uh, in, no in you guys room. No, vaguely on Palm street. Yeah. See what, what's interesting about that. And I always tell people I have very few memories of living on Palm street since I was only there till we were about eight. Okay. Like I have, I have a handful of memories. I, I kind of sort of remember 
your high school graduation and I got really mad for some reason and I cried the whole mm. time. So I think, it, at least in my mind, 90% of your graduation was just mom and dad trying to console me for nope. being upset about okay. something. Um, I remember there was one time I barfed in my bed and you guys had to clean it up. Um, and I think I remember the time when maybe it was Terrence fell off the bunk bed. Do you remember that? No, that was me. That was you? Yeah. Okay. Well, earlier. Actually, that was me at an, at an earlier place. At an earlier place. Okay. So so maybe it was you two guys there. Yeah. So by then there was carpet, though. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> All right, so you so you you were you were always into trinkets, gadgets when when we were kids, and you lived close by the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Mm-hmm, yeah. Can you explain to the people what that is? Oh, some my, people may know about it. Some people may not. Would be very inaccurate, but uh, oh yeah, it would be very inaccurate. But essentially, they're involved in pretty much every space program that's been around since. I would say the 60s, maybe even the 50s. Okay. And I think the site was originally started by uh, a uh, rocketeer, and I forget his name, and I'm sure everyone in JPL, if, if they ever run into this, they might uh, go, oh, this guy knows nothing about this. They, they, they would be offended that you did not have a <laughs> deep, intricate knowledge of JPL? Yes, exactly. Oh, exactly. I mean, you know, it's one of those things where it's there, and mm-hmm. you can always go visit if you want to. Right. And is is Caltech close by JPL? Not really. No, okay. it's it's pretty much on the uh, south end of Lake Avenue. Okay. So going into San Marino, I want to say. All right, but is it is it technically in Pasadena? Or it is. is it? Yes. Okay. Yes, and JPL's in Pasadena. And, and yes, it is. Both okay. of them are physically located in Pasadena. And and for uh, you know uh, some people who may not be putting all of this together um the the folks from the big bang theory work at caltech is that is that correct that's that's their yes that's their setting like yeah and and oddly enough when you look out of their window in the Mm -hmm. sheldon's apartment yeah you see uh city hall oh okay pasadena city hall Hall, which is a a, uh, heavily filmed landmark yes and so after that show came on i kind of went back to the area and drove around and i'm thinking there really isn't a way where they can have a nice view of that building from where they right, are. Right, yeah, yeah. And and, they, <laughs> and they're nowhere near Caltech. Yeah, yeah, it's it's <laughs> geographically impossible. Yeah. But yeah, the, the overwhelming majority of Big Bang Theory fans do not have a, a deep knowledge of the, you know, the, the streetscapes right, of Pasadena. Yeah. Okay, so so you were, you were into science and, uh, you know, tinkering around with stuff when you were a kid. Was it like a gradual evolution to get into engineering or did something sort of happen one day? Like, did you have the the lightning storm thunderbolt moment of like, I shall be an engineer and or was it just like, oh, this is cool. I like doing this. Well, I I mean, I've kind of always tended towards that. And I should add I was building models Mm -hmm. back then, too. And uh, and all those uh, skills tests that you take in school. That say, well, your aptitude is here and here and here. It was all science, technology, as gotcha. the arts and you know, various things like that. Mm-hmm. And when you, at what point did you realize that engineering is an actual job that people do? 
Well, since we had taken several trips to Caltech, I kind of knew that was the case mm-hmm. because you actually see people there working. Yeah. And uh, and then uh, the folks' friends, mm-hmm. they, they had people, you know, prof- they were, their friends were professionals. Right. And, you know, they explained what they did. And so it was reinforced in more than one way. Gotcha. So, yes, for me, it was a viable thing. And then, you know, when you look at... Uh, I guess jobs you're looking for mm-hmm. and see, oh well the pay scale is this right. and pay scale is that and it's like, okay, that's real. Yeah. Yeah, it's not so. bad. It's not bad. Um very nice. <laughs> so yeah, the for the people, you know, well I was about to say for the people that are listening listening to this and not watching it, but everyone will be listening to it and no one will be watching it. So my my brother's uh, girlfriend is here in the basement in the studio with us, and they they keep looking at each other, making uh, I don't know facial expressions. Are, I'm guessing they're trying to check in with each other to see. Are you are you Mark? Are you making sure that Gene is uh, being on point and doing everything he should be and staying cool? Nice. Awesome. You're doing a great job. We appreciate you, Marco. And I should mention that Marco uh, did a heavy bit of the grunt work in getting the uh, 50th anniversary together. As she as did. Sending the evites and yes. making sure people checked in with that. And uh, and then also with creating the uh, party favors. And, yes. And and on and on and on. And we're, we're still not quite finished because then we've got... Uh, Thank yous to Doug mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and follow-ups, too. Yes. So I, I certainly appreciate everything you've done, Marco. You're welcome. My pleasure. <laughs> and I appreciate it as well, Marco. I was I was very happy that you were willing to do that um, because something that I didn't want to say at the time because I didn't want to seem like I was raining on everyone's parade, but the those uh, logistical details – those are not things that I really look forward to doing, partially because Naomi and I planned so much stuff for our wedding, 95% of it, which did not happen. So I was like, oh, man, this is, uh, yeah, this isn't something that I like doing. And I will also gladly use my one-year-old son as an excuse <laughs> to, it's not a complete excuse because, I mean, like I do, you know, it's like as soon as I get home, uh, it's just like, all right, I just have to walk him run, walk up and down the living room floor for three hours, and then we go to bed. But thank you, Marco. I appreciate that. Shout out to Marco King. Um, all right, so the, so there, uh, there's a couple of things I want to learn more about, Eugene, about uh, high school and then college and a little bit of career, and then, and then we'll uh, do a bit of a transition. So you actually went to a, I mean, it was like a science high school, right? Marshall was a science school? Not at all. Was it just a regular public school? I feel like it, it had was, science it, in the title. No, it. well, it had fundamental in the title. Okay, yeah. But essentially, it was set up to be academically more rigorous than, gotcha. than the rest of the public high schools in the, in the uh, district. Okay, so it wasn't technically a science school, but no. it was a... Uh, what we I in Philly, you know, they call them magnet schools. Right, right. Okay, and you, I'm assuming you had to test to get yeah, into it. Yeah, you had it? to test to get in there. Okay, so you had to show a certain level of uh, of uh, ability in order to get in. Gotcha. So, and then then they on then then the classes that uh, were honors and AP. Mm-hmm. If you took all of those classes all four years, you were automatically qualified for UC and CSU admission. 
Okay. That was that was the big thing. And can you explain to people what UC and CSU uh, is? University of California system. <clears throat> I don't I think that one got started first. But okay. You've got UC Berkeley, UCLA, and various others, UC San Diego, many of UC Davis. Right. I, I can't mention them all. Yeah. And then the CSU system was a California State University system, not as prestigious, but uh, still quite good. Gotcha. Gotcha. And CSU San Diego, mm-hmm. aka San Diego State University, was where I went. And right. Part of the CSU system. Gotcha. And so, so you you go to San Diego State. Um, what what years were you there? Uh, a few. Yeah, you 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 were there. There there were some challenges with funding. And was it? I'm trying to see if I remember this correctly. Did the engineering department was it on the chopping block at In one 1992, point? 1992, it was on the chopping block. Okay. And the uh, president of the university, who was a technical major himself, mm-hmm. a physics major from Notre Dame, wanted to get rid of not the engineering department but the aerospace engineering department because the amount of money that went to or the amount of money that they uh, went through for a smaller number of students they couldn't quite justify in the budget gotcha. and at that time they were saying aerospace is kind of on a downturn as far as uh, uh, as far as jobs coming out and just its impact on on you know the soci- society in general so mm-hmm. So they said, yeah, it's it's kind of, they want to cut down on it. And oddly enough, they wanted to eliminate nursing at the same time. Really? Yeah. That and makes absolutely no sense. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. So so all of us were out there, you know, up in arms. Right. Get rid of our major. Mm-hmm. Don't get rid of our major, you know. So, so that ended up yeah. not happening. Okay. But how, like, how long was the uncertainty period? About a semester. Okay. As far as I can tell. Sure. You know, you pretty much don't have a whole lot of time to to uh, get out there right. when, you know, you've got a midterm the next three mm-hmm. days. Mm-hmm. So. And so so if that had happened, I'm, I'm assuming you would have had to transfer to another school to graduate or like how would that have worked? Yeah, probably so. You'd transfer. I mean, mm-hmm. you can take your credits with you. Right. You know, they're fairly portable yeah. as far as I know. Yeah, I wouldn't have known known how to have gone about that process. Right. In right. hindsight, it, it it wouldn't really be a major detriment. Just maybe extra time. Sure, sure. But yeah, I mean, when you're back then, you don't know that. You don't know that. Yeah, I mean, and <laughs> I and I also feel like in the you know in the pre-internet era where people that you don't know in information, it's like you you don't know what you don't know. I mean, right. so like so like now, I mean, like literally, and I I remember you in. Terrence talking about this a couple nights ago about just like you don't know anything you can go on YouTube I mean like right. and I, I mean I've literally typed in just things to be like okay I want to know like how to do that so I mean like I've typed in it's like you know how do how do I fix a carburetor and it's like in in those exact words mm-hmm, in those exact words and it's like there's an infinite amount of information exactly. but back then it's like oh uh, what do I do okay and searching for information was difficult right when we started out the the uh, course catalog was a uh, it was like a mini phone book mm, mm-hmm. that you look through. And even that was four years out of date. Right. And so they had these little flyers that would supplement that. Mm-hmm. And th- th- and they printed those out uh, every semester. Gotcha. So you had to keep up with those. Right, so it was right. Very, yeah, it, information was just not easy to come yeah, by. Yeah, so. yeah. Very challenging. And 
when you were at San Diego State, you were in the National Society of Black Engineers. Yes. Correct? Yes. Region Region 6, that region was your chapter? Six, that's right. I still remember. remember I still those remember. T-shirts, huh? I remember t-shirts. Remember the T-shirts. <laughs> and you, were you the president of Region 6 for a period? No. No, I was, I was, I was I, a I chapter president. I told people. President. Okay. Okay, so what what is that? What is that? So there were chapters within Region Six. Chapters for every university that was participating. Okay, and then Region Six was basically the West Coast, gotcha, gotcha, all the way up to uh, probably the Oregon border. Gotcha. Okay, so um, but you but you were the president of the San Diego State chapter. Yes. All right. So I wasn't completely no, not completely completely wrong. But yeah, I I would always tell people, oh, my brother is the president of uh, Region Six. Well, one of our guys end up being president of the of the region nice so nice so we had a little we had a little more pull yeah at were, that time gotcha were there a lot of black folks in the various engineering departments or i guess like as far as you can tell for the engineering departments you know like all of them together what was if you can remember the percentage of black folk that actually made up was it like 12 percent, 3 percent, 20 percent Probably less than ten percent. Okay, that's for sure. Right. Yeah, it was a small number. Yeah, because there were, you, you don't get a real feel for how many students are actually admitted mm-hmm. at the time until graduation, when you see everybody. Yeah. It's like, where where were all these people? Yeah, yeah. So, and even people who uh, would have been in NSB, right? You didn't see them until gotcha. graduation. It's like, yeah. Where, where were you all? Yeah. This time? Where, where where have you been this entire time? <laughs> yeah. So how how did you well? A couple things I'm interested in. When you got to San Diego State, um, just with the college in general, did you have this feeling of like, oh, wow, there's like not that many black people here? Or like what what was sort of the racial vibe going through your mind as far as you can remember? Uh, Well, first of all, uh, a lot of my application information and housing and all those applications were uh were forwarded to the MEP which was the minority engineering program okay and so they aided very very tremendously mm-hmm. in making sure that all these things were known to us gotcha so it was the secondary information avenue okay and so they you know they pretty much got us to make all the right moves and mm-hmm. get all the right information and then had uh, study programs and the like through the whole time we were there. And at the time it was run by a man named Frank Holmes. Okay. Who has uh, been involved in education mm-hmm. as far as I can remember. Yeah. So, I mean, without his help, hundreds of students probably wouldn't have graduated. Gotcha. Gotcha. So he was definitely a major force in the mm-hmm. arena. So beyond that, it it was... You know, you, you did have a few instances where professors and or teaching assistants kind of, uh, they judged your, I don't know what the word is, you know, they question your... Your intellect? Your, your, well, they question your, the fact that you're there. Gotcha. Yeah. You know, so I, I, I can't think of how to, how to say that. But they questioned the fact that you were there and then, yeah, intellect and ability to be able to get through their courses. Right. So, so was was it a thing where they were like surprised <clears throat> that you were there or like they couldn't figure out how you even knew what engineering was or I don't think it really got to that part that mm-hmm. that far where you would actually ask them well why why do you why are you challenging XYZ? We mm-hmm. was kind of just like, you know, you saw that it was there and you 
you kind of had to get around that gate so mm-hmm. you didn't rock the boat so much yeah. that, you know, that word gets around that, oh, this student's a problem. Right, yeah, he's a troublemaker. Classes, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so so it was interesting, and then you had to, you know, demonstrate your, your abilities, and once they found out that you were on par mm-hmm. with everyone else, they, you know, they, not, nothing too serious came Yeah, up, yeah. But just, just a few instances here and there where you actually had to, you know, say, hey, you, you know, I'm paying for this mm-hmm. and uh you're teaching and yeah. as long as i'm passing whatever it is you need to do you know just keep keep moving yeah yeah and i mean you know obviously i feel like that's kind of a uh you know a universal thing um that every black person in white spaces goes through because you know i mean there there was definitely uh, like an element of that at University of the Arts. Um, yeah, because I mean, UArts doesn't really have a high black population. Most of the black students that I remember were in the dance department, and it was usually black women. So to see black men at the school was pretty rare, super rare in the theater department. And super rare in the theater department if you weren't in musical theater. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, the kind of the running joke was that if a black man was in the theater department, he was an openly gay black man who did musical theater. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, and there was also sort of the kind of, like, you know, you don't do musical theater? Like, you don't dance? It's like, no, like, I, I do Shakespeare and, like, oh, you like that play? Like, yeah, no, like, I don't just do the black plays. Like, I, you know... Um, yeah, so I, I feel like that is a, a, a kind of typical thing. Now, as far as the black scientists and black engineers, what was your consciousness of them growing up? Because I, I feel like, you know, for you were very instrumental in showcasing a lot of that history to me. Um, and, you know, and one of the things that I've always talked to people about is you know aside from the fact that we grew up fairly well i mean we did not really grow up wanting for much Mm, true um and upon further review you know i feel like mom and dad had more economic challenges than they let on like you know they didn't want that to affect us but it was never really a case of we could be homeless like we have to choose between paying the mortgage and paying for for food it like you know it it never got to that um but you know but so the thing i always say to people is well you know my experience was you know as really as good as life can be yeah challenges of growing up um but then also the fact that dad worked in finance mom worked at a bank and then worked at a travel agency you know, Terrence studied architecture, went to an HBCU, then worked on mutual funds. You know, now, you know, he's doing logistical support in the business world. You're an engineer. So all of these things were very normal to right. me. Um, and then also the fact that, you know, I still remember mom and dad giving me black history flashcards when I was a kid. I still remember and I used to hate it, but I'm very glad they did it. But like, you know, all the museums that we went to sure, and sure. grandma taking me to the Jackie Robinson Museum yeah. and mom and dad taking me to the Black American West Museum in and Denver. Who has a very, and Jackie Robinson has a big footprint in Pasadena. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, very much so, very much so. And And you, you know, like you were very overt in showcasing the contributions that black folk had made to science and engineering yeah, black inventors mm-hmm. yeah. so uh like so like w- when did you start becoming cognizant of that 
More so when I got to San Diego State. Okay. Started taking uh, African-American studies classes yeah. and got to know more about the history. And, you know, like you said, like we were talking earlier, uh, information mm-hmm. harder to come by. Yes, absolutely. Back in those days. And absolutely. So the halls of academia mm-hmm. have all that stuff. Yeah. And, and the people behind the, the research. Yeah. So found out a lot more about that and said, well, let me let me bring this back home. And mm-hmm. See how that goes. And then, too, and then. Our our parents' uh, circle of friends yeah had had a lot of information as well and even some foot footprints mm-hmm. into those mm-hmm. into those areas so so yeah I mean it came from everywhere everywhere in you know, familial and and uh, academic yeah absolutely yeah and I mean it's you know it's something that I'm very grateful for and you know it's part of what I've tried to do with. The work that I've done, especially in the education field, you know, especially at Treehouse and even where I am now where, you know, it's really, you know, yeah, the the idea of uncovering history, exploring narrative, you know, particularly through media forms that, um, you know, information that we just don't know about or we don't know a, a lot about. Mm-hmm. And I I think I might have told you this. I don't know if I ever told you this, but um, the women um, that were featured that were the subject for hidden figures. I first learned about them around 2004, maybe. So I was, when I was working at the Ritz Bors movie theater, there was a gentleman who came in and he was actually of Indian descent, but he had a Nesby t-shirt. So, so, you know, he, you know, so he came in and I I said, Oh, national society of black engineers. I'm like, that's awesome. I said, uh, you know, my, so I said, my brother was the president of region six, uh, Shout out to whoever was the president of Region Six at that yeah, time. That'll get some some emails started. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I was I, I was I didn't I didn't know. So uh, so yeah, we just started talking, and this was really around the time when I was getting very conscious about exploring narratives of Black folk that weren't really explored. You know, like getting into the what I like to call the non-traditional narratives, you know, going beyond Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, like, but you know, let's, let's do the deeper cuts. So, so he said, Oh, well, like, you know, there were a lot of black women who were actually instrumental in the Apollo programs and getting people to the moon. And I think maybe it was, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if he re- if he referenced anyone's names then, and if he did, I mean, I didn't have the context to remember. But I even remember like later reading. I think maybe it was Katherine Johnson mm-hmm. who was held in such high regard that like John Glenn apparently was like, until she signs off on on the math, like I I, I ain't doing it. Yeah, math math phenom. Yeah, yeah, which I yeah I you know just uh, think it's very amazing. Also, did you see Hidden Figures? I didn't actually we, we see did it. See the movie? Was it good? My- my fear was that it was going to be like a very Disney esque movie, like sort of like no, okay, no, I don't think so. Was all right, so it was like it was like good, good. Yes, it was it okay. Was good. All right, yeah, because I I didn't want it to be the like you know, and that man was you know <laughs> yeah, because you you know how like some uh, movies about black people in the sixties, you know, it like there's always like a little kid who is like talking, and it's like. 
what's your name, little man? Neil deGrasse oh, Tyson. Yeah. Like, I was afraid it was going to be like that. I was like, oh, okay. But, you know, I'm, I'm glad that they were all in it. I'm glad it made its money. And, but it, yeah, yeah, it was a good yeah, movie. It was, it was a good movie. Okay. It was, it was portrayed very well. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Very good. How was Kevin Costner Kevin in it? Kevin Costner was good, too. Okay. Was he good or was he good for Kevin Costner? Well, I don't know who you would compare him or who you're comparing him to when you when you say that. So I feel I I I don't know if Kevin Costner. So all right. All so the, are you talking as comparison in a comparison to Waterworld or The Postman? <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot better than that. Okay. Oh yeah. A lot, okay. lot better than those. Nice. Lot, it, yeah. Yeah. No. You. His character was completely believable. All right. in, in the position he was in. That's yeah. Cool. I mean, everybody was. Even Sheldon was in it. Yeah, I I do. Re- I've Jim, I've Jim seen Parsons. yeah Jim Parsons. I've seen a little bit of it on uh, FX. You know, I've seen like ten minutes. So uh, yeah, so I'm like, oh yeah, Sheldon. Sheldon mm-hmm. is in it. Did did he? Pl- I'm assuming he played a, like a normal. Yeah, he person. played one of the one of the uh, mathematicians or okay. computers. In uh, yeah. in the uh, in the in the room yeah. where they did all the bulk of the calculations, mm-hmm. and uh, he was the antagonist. Gotcha. In that room. Gotcha. Who was later won over by mm-hmm. her ability? Right, so, right. So not to give it away. Though. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I probably <laughs> won't see it. I, I, I would probably read the book. Okay. Um, but yeah, now, now that you vouched for the movie, yeah, it was good I movie. will. Okay, yeah. I will. And I mean, not, not like you said, you know, hey, I'm such and such. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so th- this is kind of a good segue. Something that I'm curious about is how much did science fiction actually or maybe it didn't did science fiction impact your desire to pursue engineering yes it did how like can you kind of explain like how that did like what so what what were the big movies or the shows what what was the science fiction you were consuming in your formative years star trek okay that was the the major one mm-hmm. when we lived on an apartment on hill street it was an apartment that's kind of in the back of a lot. Okay. And so there was a house in the front of the lot. And we were friends with the kids there and went into the house one day and boom, Star Trek pops awesome. up on the TV. And it's like, what is this? And so we sat and watched it. And we're like, oh, man, this is cool. Yeah. And so what, what what was it about Star Trek that was super all appealing? All the gadgets. Okay. All the gadgets. You liked all the gadgets. And, yeah, yeah, all the gadgets and the, the, you know, the situations that they find themselves mm-hmm. in. And uh, and how you know they resolved all those conflicts yeah. on on the latest frontier. Gotcha, right? gotcha. Yeah, yeah. And were you like? I mean, did you read a lot of science fiction? I mean, like, did you? Yeah, I forgot to mention Doctor Who also. Yes. Oh, okay. Is Which, that is that? That's why you were making the uh, signal, Marco. Yeah, yeah. Marco has a uh, TARDIS uh, in the room with us, so it's it's yeah, hard, she does. hard to miss. When, when did you so you were the first person I remember watching Doctor Who okay. and honestly until Doctor Who got big again at least when it came on on my radar I guess when the the the, the hipster guy started doing mm-hmm. it it was a show that I wasn't really sure if other people watched because really no one in my high school watched it yeah if they did they didn't talk about it like like people talked about or at least Locke was really big into Lord of the Rings, so that's right. when I learned I learned of Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit 
when we were in Northern Virginia. But mm. the other P, I didn't really know people that were into Doctor Who. Well, for us, it only came on PBS, mm-hmm. and they they bought it from or they licensed it from BBC. Yeah, and I'd started watching it actually after I had seen those episodes of Star Trek. Okay, so Star Trek was the first exposure. And ha- the, how old the were the original yeah. series? Yeah, how how old were you when you started watching Star I, Trek? I could only speculate. Okay, maybe. Anywhere between six to eight. Okay. Somewhere in there. All right. Well, that's it's not too wide no, a, a, no. an age range. All right. Okay. Around six okay. to eight. And then and then later on when we would uh, switch to PBS mm-hmm. and we'd go through it because you're watching that because of Sesame Street, right. Electric Company. And then later on in the day, it's like, well, what's this dude walking around with this huge uh, scarf on? Yeah. You know, jumping in and out of a out of a box. Mm-hmm. And then there's aliens yeah. cruising down, you know, downtown London. And yeah. Stuff. <laughs> Awesome. So that, you know, and then I later found out how deep the history of that was. Gotcha. Because I think they had their 50th anniversary like five years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. And I didn't realize it had gone. It kind of interrupted here and there. But yeah. then like when, uh, well, just before David Tennant came in, the hipster guy, it was actually uh, another guy. Okay. That rein, reinvigorated the series or seemed to. Okay. Or that's when it came back on our radar. Yeah. And then ever since then, it's been flowing. Nice. Nice. Um, very cool. And so then uh, what uh, – so – and did you read like a lot of – did you read Isaac Asimov or Philip K. Dick at all? I kind of tried to, and that got me to go to sleep quicker. Okay, yeah. Not, not, not <laughs> so much. Not that enjoyable. However, I did, uh, I did attend a lecture with – Carl Sagan? No. Uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, Something Wicked This Way Comes. He wrote that. Mm, I don't know that one. Am I and that wasn't so much sci-fi, right. but it was it was uh, maybe sci-fi fantasy. I sure. Think. But that was at PCC. Okay. So you know, later on, Pasadena Community or Pasadena City College. City College yeah. yeah. For for those of the for those people not in the know. All right. So so there so there was some Star Trek. There was uh, some Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Who's your favorite Doctor Who of all the Doctor Whos that have been around? Well, of course, the original guy. That Not the original guy, but uh, the guy I first started watching. I think his name was Tom. Tom something. Okay. You know, and if yeah. uh, Whovian ever hears this, they'll just go. They'll, they'll lose their mind. Yeah, How can he will. not know exactly yes. what and, his name and is? And he's still around, and okay. he's still making guest appearances nice. on the uh, on the show because they've, mm-hmm. they've done it where they've all the doctors who are still around they can kind of you know mix and mingle yeah so tom, tom baker tom baker tom baker he was the first one i saw he's the first one you saw after him david Tennant. okay because he's, he's just cool okay just very cool. cool but there's not a doctor i don't like all right so you like all of them yeah nice sidebar who's your favorite james bond Uh, I'd probably have to say Roger Moore. Nice, well I'd done. Seen most of his mm-hmm. work, I yeah, mean, that was the '80s, and yeah, when I was cognizant of Bond at the right. time, right, right. That, that's who we watched. Yeah, yeah. Roger Moore is my is my favorite, and I remember when whichever one was the first Timothy Dalton mm-hmm. movie. I is that the Living Daylights? I think movie? it was the Living Daylights. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah, because I guess he did Living Daylights in a, a View to a Kill, maybe, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I think know. so. I think so. Yeah, he definitely, yeah. Um, But yeah, which, whichever one, because I think 
you took me to see it or like you and Terrence went and I tagged along with you. But I feel like I saw it in the theater and I was super shocked because like I didn't I didn't realize that James Bond was a series. I only knew of Roger Moore. Uh So, yeah. And it was it was kind of around a period where um, so much stuff was changing where, yeah, you know, um, Reagan wasn't the president anymore. There was a new James Bond and there was like something else that happened where it's like. These, you know, the, these people, yeah, events. yeah, these these massive events. What what is what, what is happening in the world? Okay, and then, um, so like, what was some of the what was some of the other sci-fi? Because I I feel like you're you're like the sci-fi dude. Well, I mean, like, I, I feel like you know, Blade Space nineteen ninety nine. Did you ever see that? No, I don't even know what that see, is. I can't remember if it was British or American, but mm-hmm. it had both actors gotcha. in it. I mean, Martin Landau. Was the uh, was the, the was the commander? Awesome of Moonbase Alpha. Okay, which was a moon base that either through accident or through uh, design, mm-hmm. the moon gets blasted away from the Earth. Gotcha, and just starts rocketing into space. Ah, and okay. so that's where they meet up with everyone else. Gotcha. So, and then the set was. Uh, kind of had the Logan Runs feel to it. Awesome, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Great Logan's Run slash Rollerball. Awesome, original. Nice, you know, I like the, it. All that architecture. Mm-hmm. Oh, and of course, uh, you know, two thousand one is Space Odyssey. Yeah, yeah. You know that was that was major. Watching that, and then a lot of the programming that JPL and Caltech put out, mm-hmm. also as far as uh, learning mathematics and calculus and how those things were applied. And then just promotion of uh, doing projects in space mm-hmm. and how the potentials are unlimited as far as right. what's out there, right. how they can benefit, you know, everyone back here. Yeah. So I just got a lot of that all the time. Mm-hmm. So just just where you were. Yeah. So, yeah. So all those things combined. It's pretty much what what got me there. When you first saw 2001, did you get it? Not at all. Okay. Because I'm thinking, okay, there's, you know, apes running around mm-hmm. there, beating each other up, mm-hmm. throws the bone up, and next thing you know, there's a, there's a you know, a, a domino floating around. Yeah, yeah. So, no, I didn't get it. I was too young to, mm-hmm. <laughs> to figure it out. Yeah, because I, I definitely remember at one point, you were watching it in your bedroom or, you know, it, it one, one of our bedrooms, but I remember, like, walk, walking in. And I was really freaked out because it, it was towards the end when Dave is in the space hotel. Mm-hmm. And because yeah. I just remember, uh, you know, like he's looking around and then there's like he's the, he's super old and he knocks his glass over. Mm-hmm. And then there's a baby. I was like, I don't know what yeah. a- any of this. So yeah. It's like, wow, he's reborn. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I w- and and it was around the time where I was kind of young enough where um like nothing really made sense to me, but I'm like, but I remember being freaked out at seeing him as an old person. Mm-hmm. I think it was just also because that house and that room was so bright and there was no one else in it that mm-hmm. really unnerved me. I'm like, yeah. what, is, what is this creepy old dude yeah. doing there? And then now there's a baby flying through space. But then I remember watching 2010 with you and seeing the end of it. And I was really intrigued when Jupiter imploded at the end, like mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of oh, cool. Oh, that's right. It was yeah. kind of set up that you know it was kind yeah. of starting that process, mm-hmm. and yeah, and then yeah. eventually, yeah, yeah. And 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 I've rewatched it, and apparently the monolith that they find on the moon 
it, there, there's like thousands of monoliths that start springing up in Jupiter, and that's what causes the implosion. Okay, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, and then there's actually a third book too. Yeah, yeah. I, I which I I did know. Yeah, or I sort hadn't, of know a little bit. Explored it. Yeah. Um, and then I also remember in 2010, Ray yeah. Bradbury. That was the author of uh, something. Wicked oh, okay. Yeah, makeup. that makes sense. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised I did not. Yeah, because I feel like it's the big three are Bradbury, Asimov, and Philip K. Dick. Yeah. And and uh, the other thing I definitely remember about 2010, I didn't get it at the time, but you know it was definitely meant to uh, show the the Americans and the Soviets working together. So you know they had all the cosmonauts up in the right. spaceship, and there was the guy who uh, there was the one guy he kept trying to use American phrases, but he would always get them wrong. So mm -hmm. he'd be like easy as cherry pie or something. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, yeah, I, I didn't you know I wasn't well versed in Cold War politics. Um, setting, yeah. setting up, setting Biff up for some good lines mm -hmm. in, uh, in uh, Back to the Future. Yes, yes. Um, Another one, Back to the Future. Yeah, yeah. Is is time travel possible? Because I sure we're we're getting older as we speak. Okay, leaping through time. <laughs> yes, because we yeah, we do move to, through. Go we, to sleep. Sure, and then yeah. The the well, is the I, I, can well, a flux let, capacitor exist? Uh, I would say that capacitors actually work via flux. Mm -hmm. but what does that mean? I'm I'm not that smart with uh, science. What is flux? Uh, yeah, I'm not even going to say it just okay. because I just don't want to alienate too many people. Gotcha. I literally only ten people listen to this podcast. Okay. So. Well, essentially, it's a property of of. Uh, of energy going through basically a defined barrier okay. or defined uh, shape. All right. So the amount of flux is defined by the, the pieces that are actually conducting the flux. Marco, do you have any idea what he's talking about? He said a bunch. I don't know any of the I words could, that could, he just said. I could quickly. So it's like so like an ebb and flow through time. Is well, this is she one's more space though? Okay, this one physical space. All right, you know space and distance. But it's it's there's so many analogies between water flow mm -hmm. and electrical flow because they try to get you to learn it that way initially, just so that you can suspend your disbelief and right. that this can actually property can actually happen. So they say, well, think of it like water flowing, but not too much. Okay. And if you then if you think too hard, you're like, well, that that can't happen. So. All right. Well, I still, I'm not that gifted in science, so I don't know. I I feel like uh, Adam Sandler in Billy Madison when Veronica Vaughn visits him in his tent and because he has to prepare for his test, and she's like, yeah, and he's reading like Great Expectations or <laughs> something, and and she goes, oh, like you know, you're reading Great Expectations. He's like, I understand three words in that book. Yeah, yeah, that's that's how I feel when you describe or anyone describes science. Well, so it's not your description; it, it is my very non-scientific. No, it's my brain. description. It's not accurate. Okay, I can, I can attest to that. All right. If someone actually made a time machine out of a Del could someone make a time machine out of a DeLorean? If they can make a time machine, of course they could make it out of a DeLorean. Because you could make it out of anything. Anything. Exactly. Okay. Would it need what even was it? A police box. Even a even even a police box. <laughs> yes. Even a, you know, yeah, a, yeah. A TARDIS is a is a time machine. Exactly. Yeah. Would it need? 
is was there anything scientifically accurate with um the the flux capacitor being powered was it by powered by plutonium or was that just yes the, no that it was it th- you, that was you accurate ten point twenty one gigawatts yeah one point twenty one point twenty one gigawatts in order to get this thing to happen yeah to, to activate the flux yeah, capacitor you would need infinite amounts of energy okay in order to do that is a gigawatt a real thing well a gigawatt is okay yeah it just probably sounded better by uh, movie standards gotcha gotcha yeah, gigawatts do exist all right. And then later, when when Doc created Mister Fusion, that turned the food into the power source to yes. power the flux capacitor. Is that is that relatively is that kind of scientifically realistic? Uh, it could be. Okay, it could be. But there again, you'd need so much energy to get the process started. Sure. You know, so I don't know. It's. I mean, you know, it's 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 a nice vehicle too. Right. Yeah. yeah just... So so maybe. When the because in at the end of Back to the First Back to the Future, I don't know if you remember. I've oh, watched remember Back to the Futures a lot, oh, but yeah. but when he opens up Mister Fusion, all he does is he pour he he goes in Marty's trash and he puts mm-hmm. like a couple of eggshells and a banana peel, and, and then he pours yeah and the can of beer. Yep. I, I'm I feel like that's not enough energy. I feel like the plutonium is generating way more energy than those items. Well, were. the plutonium is uh, a more compact method of storing all that mm-hmm. energy but essentially all matter s- stores energy gotcha and in a nuclear explosion that energy or that matter is converted into pure energy which mm-hmm. you can never recover okay so so yes all matter has energy in it on the scale of gigawatts if you could somehow get it all, get it to, to be released final question about back to the future is it in any way plausible that a group of air quotes terrorists would show up in a VW van with a handheld rocket launcher ready to shoot someone for stealing their plutonium. Cause like, remember the scene Only when they like, the 80s. yeah, when they pull up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember. And they had a, they had an RPG, right? I guess that's what yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah I don't, I don't know my, my missile. My, yeah. My, my weapons that yeah, well, but that, that, that's all eighties because yeah. that's what we would see right. on the news yeah. back then. So, did you when you were uh, when you first saw the movie? Did you realize how racist that scene was? Because I I feel no, like I didn't really yeah, because yeah. it was the eighties. It was the eighties, and and you did see that on the news. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Make yeah makes for, I've makes for good villains because yeah. Well, but they know. made up for it by making Goldie Wilson the mayor. They did. They did. Yes. Yes. Uh, they used to have. Um, so yeah, my friend Greg Silvesti, he used to have a uh, Goldie Wilson for for mayor T shirt. I think he got it from Urban Outfitters. So yeah, he used to do that a lot. Yeah, there there was a lot of um, there were several racial jokes uh, spanning you know uh, going across uh, you know a couple of communities and Back to the Future. So the yeah, I mean, so clearly the you know uh, stereotyping Libyans as as you know well this this was missile 80, toting this was what eighty four yeah right? so, yeah it was yeah. like during the height Gaddafi of was, of the Gaddafi the era all the yeah. time yeah so there was that. There was the scene when um, when they dump Marty into the back of the trunk at the dance at the Enchantment Under the oh, Sea yeah. dance. Yeah, yeah, and the yeah. so and all the musicians are smoking weed in the car, mm-hmm. which I didn't I didn't pick up until I watched it again in high school. Mm-hmm. And then um, when they come out, and they're like, "What the hell are you doing to the car?" And one of the guys in Biff's gang is like, "This doesn't concern you, Spook." And then yeah. the other dude's like, "Who are you calling Spook, Peckerwood?" 
So yeah, I didn't notice that. And then um yeah, then there were a lot of uh there were like a couple of Irish jokes cuz cuz Biff calls McFly, he's like you Irish bug. Mm. Yeah, so I didn't necessarily pick up on those. Yeah. Well, yeah, that when you live in Philadelphia, you know, high American High Irish American population, high Catholic population, you pick up on yeah. these things. So the the history of race relations in America, as portrayed through Back to the Future, yeah, okay, is, is well, a I, I certainly know more about it now, right, right. Given our heavier uh, influx of information mm-hmm. at our disposal, so it's yeah, it's a lot more uh, visible. So, uh, what are the what do you think are like the best science? What are the top five best and top five worst science fiction movies that you've seen? I I couldn't think of them right now. I mean, Blade Runner. Blade Runner is one of the best. Both of them. Okay. Both of them. So the so Blade Runner twenty forty nine that was it's good. good. Yeah, it's, it's good. good. Yeah. It it kind of rounds out the story. Okay. You know, at least of uh, Decker anyway. Is that Harrison Ford? Yeah, Harrison I've never Ford. seen Blade Runner. Haven't seen the first one. No, because um, like didn't, post didn't read the. Okay. Yeah, and because uh, I'm tr- I'm trying to think. When I was a kid, I was really just mainly a Star Wars and Star Trek person. If there was a science fiction movie that I saw as a kid. I liked it so. Last Starfighter, I loved. Oh yeah, um, about that. yeah. That and and then looking back on it, the graphics were horrible. It, yeah. Not for the time though. Yeah, that for the was, time, that very was good, fairly outstanding. Yes. Yeah. And and the scene when you know, like you see the dude's alien face, like the old guy that recruits right, him. Right. He taps on the window. That was super awesome. Uh, yeah, Never Ending Story. I feel like that falls under fantasy. It so does. yeah, Never Ending Story. Loved it. Uh, Last Starfighter, loved it. Um, yeah, you know, and then any of the, you know, I mean, you know, you knew me growing up. So any mm-hmm. of the Star Wars, the Star Treks, you know, especially Wrath of Khan, Search for Spock, Voyage Home, oh, yeah. you know, Next Generation clearly loved it. But yeah, I like I never saw Alien or Aliens. I didn't really know That's about them. That's very, yeah, those are very good. Yeah. And yeah, Blade Runner, because I knew that like, you were into Blade Runner, but I think subconsciously the sort of like post-apocalyptic, dystopic future didn't necessarily appeal to me. I, I saw Brazil when I was in college because when I, when I learned that Terry Gilliam directed it, I was mm-hmm. like, OK, well, because I think I I don't know if I knew that he was in Monty Python. I think he's the only American uh, member of Monty Python. Yeah. But I, I definitely knew him as the director of 12 monkeys. Okay. And I was doing a play in college and the director said, um, Brazil is one of the influences. So I was like, all right, I'll like, I'll, I'll go watch it. But yeah, the, the dystopic, uh, post-apocalyptic future never really appealed to me. Hmm. Okay. Well, it, it, there's a lot of permutations of it. So, Get get used to it. Yeah, yeah. I, I I saw a little bit of a Mad Max Fury Road, so I, that I was saw good like too. yeah, I saw like seventy percent of it, so I like that. I mean, I mainly like that because the stunts were real. That's cool. That's so very cool. The CG guys didn't get a whole lot of work on that. Mm-hmm. One. They got a few because yeah. some of the scenes where the guys are flying, it's right. like okay, I can see the little blue ridge around the guy. Yeah, but uh, for for the most part, that was that was live action. Nice, so, and nice. it sped up, you know, a sure. couple of tenths sure. to. You know, make it more uh, yeah. more dramatic. Yeah. 
All right. So, all right. So, so some of the the best sci-fi movies you're thinking is so you said so the both of the Blade Runners. Mm-hmm. Would you put the would you put Alien and Aliens maybe in a top five for sci-fi? Yeah, I think so. Okay. And then of course when I I saw Aliens when I was a kid, so mm-hmm. it just scared the hell yeah. out of me. So. Yeah. And then after that, I started diving more into the art artwork right. by uh, Geiger and, and mm-hmm. some other stuff. It's like okay, it's not not so not so as terrifying as it used to be. Yeah. Still, the premise is uh, not not too good. Where where would you rank the Running Man with Arnold Schwarzenegger? The only reason I'm thinking of that is the Yafit Kodo connection. I'm trying to think of movies Yafit Kodo was in. Uh, well, he was also in Live and Let Die, too. He was. Which, Moore. which So Live and Let Die is my favorite James Bond film um, just because of how ridiculous and how blaxploitation-y it is. I was going to say, because he think, had yeah. Superfly's car. Yes, right? yeah. And I think you were the first person to be like, because I think, I well, what I remember was... The song "Live and Let Die." I knew the Guns N' Roses version, hmm, okay. and then I remember that came out when I was in like seventh or eighth grade. Mm-hmm. And then I remember you were visiting the house for the summer or the weekend, and I was watching MTV. And you said, "Oh, well," you said that song is actually by Paul McCartney. And I was like, "Really?" Because I didn't really know that the Beatles, the individual Beatles, made songs after they were the Beatles. Mm-hmm. I'm like, "Oh, they were the Beatles," and then they stopped doing stuff. Sure. So you're like, "Yeah," like you you said, "Oh, that that's a." It, it's a song by Paul McCartney, and it's the theme song to a James Bond movie. I was like, really? That's uh, like that doesn't make sense. And then I think at some point I stumbled upon the info for Live and Let Die, and I saw the poster, mm-hmm. and I was like, huh? Because it was like you know, uh, Roger Moore, Jane Seymour, Yafit Kodo, the really tall voodoo dude who was later mm-hmm. in uh, Boomerang. Yeah, um, Jeffrey Holder. Yes, yeah, Jeffrey Holder. <laughs> And then the, uh, and then like maybe like the super chubby guy that tries to assassinate him. That there, there's like the chubby dude with the afro. He looks like um, Questlove's like long lost brother from the seventies. But mm-hmm. he he tries to assassinate him when he gets in the cab in Harlem. And then he tries to uh, assassinate him in in uh, Saint Martinique or whatever okay. the country well, is. Well, there are quite a few guys that were in uh, black exploitation movies mm-hmm. earlier that yeah. popped up in this. Uh iteration of yeah. Bond. so but but yeah he did the he did the car driving mm-hmm. scene where just like superfly yes yes <laughs> you know where he's got his theme music playing as he's rolling mm-hmm. through the street mm-hmm. so. yeah it's it's a it i love it just because of how ridiculous it is and yeah and i i also like you know upon further review realizing how you know i feel like yafit koto's character is really supposed to be like all of the black boogeyman so so it's like it's it's a little bit of Edie Amin. It's a little bit of a uh, Papa Doc Duvalier mm-hmm. in Haiti. Yeah. It's a it's a little bit of a uh, Nikki Barnes in Harlem. Right. Yeah, it, yeah, it's yeah, it's kind of genius. Interestingly enough, Yafit Kodo was considered for was it Kirk's position in the original Star Trek? Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, his we at Comic Con we saw last year. Or I saw well one or two years ago at a panel that. Uh, he was he was on the short list of ten hmm. for actors for Kirk. Interesting. Yeah, that is very cool. Yeah. And then you know the the guy was saying that well he was I can't remember all the reasons why he was considered, but they wanted to throw him in there, you know just you know as a 
as a way of kind of rounding out, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, the future. Right. You know, as opposed to just Uhura. Yeah. You know, you've got other people. Yeah. Your lead. <clears throat> but, uh, and, uh, and I think, uh, Dyson, the, uh, guy who had essentially created the supercomputers yeah, that they yeah. all use. Yes. He's black. Yes. Yes, he is. From the original series. So I'll I'll do uh I'll do a slight revision. You're thinking of Richard Daystrom. Oh yeah, that's right. That's who right. yeah who yeah Daystrom. he yeah yes. he created yeah, the supercomputer right. yeah, and then right. the Daystrom Institute is Made named the Dyson Spheres, didn't they? Well, so or is that a different guy? I you might be thinking of Miles Dyson, who Joe Morton played in Terminator Two, who worked for Skynet. So you so you might be getting your sci-fi black scientists confused. Kind of confused. Okay. Although there, yeah, the, the Dyson sphere is a thing, so maybe it's a thing in Star that, Trek. Well, that popped up in, okay. in Next Generation. All right. Yeah. Okay. So, no, we watched quite a bit of that. Yes. So. Yeah. But yeah, my but when, yeah, Daystrom. My, yeah, yeah, Richard Daystrom of the Daystrom Institute. But yeah, I I was thinking of uh, yeah Miles Miles Dyson, Skynet. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of Terminator, are you going to see the new Terminator? Yeah, I'm going to see the next. Okay. One. And, Did you? And, have and you seen any of like? Have you seen Salvation and seen seen all of them? Are are they anywhere good? They're okay. They're okay. Mm-hmm. They're right. okay. It, it, I've seen a lot of these things, and and the ones that aren't, uh, you know, that don't pretend to be anything but mm-hmm. that story. Yeah, it's just fine with gotcha. me. You, you accept know, them for what they accept are. Accept them for what they are. All right. So, uh, yeah. so we're we're anticipating that uh, the opening line in this third iteration, because it actually, because James Cameron considers this the third in the series of gotcha. Terminator. He, he's doing it as though those last two didn't even D- exist. Didn't exist. Yeah. And so in the beginning of the first movie, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the guy doing the trash cans, mm-hmm. he's like, what the hell? Right. Yeah. You know, so we're expecting that to be the first line. Okay. This, awesome. This latest yeah. iteration. Yeah. So, that would be cool. Yeah. That would, that would be cool. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. Very cool. Um, so you live in the San Diego area. Yeah. You, how many years have you been to Comic-Con? Probably seven or eight, I think. Is it as insane or as maybe, it seems? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Every year it gets more and more insane. Is it, um, is it getting to the point? It's Part of it seems like it's just it's so big now that it just seems like it might be like super overwhelming to be it there. It is. It is. It's, it's spilling out of the seams of the convention mm-hmm. center. It's already overgrown that. Right. And so they use adjacent hotels to and their ballrooms to yeah. host different events. And it, it's just it's sprawled completely out. Outsize of, uh, of the the actual facilities. Gotcha. There. But yeah, it is completely overwhelming. I mean, there's if you tried, you, you physically can't get everything done that you want to do. Right. And so, uh, you know, you take what you can. Mm-hmm. You know, you you decide on a like three key things or maybe one key thing per day. Yeah. And you focus on that, and whatever else you can find, you you know, just be glad that you found that. Yeah. So. So what what are some of the cool things that you you all have done? And Marco, you go to Comic Con, right? Yes, and actually, parenthetical, I had four day passes this year mm-hmm. that I had to give up because I came for an anniversary celebration. 
so you you had four day passes to Comic Con and you gave it up to spend time with your in laws here in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and watch me interview your boyfriend in my basement. Correct. That that is a serious commitment. I will. We we appreciate that. How are you going to make this up to her, Jean? She sacrificed Quiet. this. Nah, I got to put oh. you on the spot. <laughs> because see, and also part of the reason why I'm asking you is that when when I don't do something like this for Naomi, when she makes a big sacrifice, I can at least say, well, no, like I was thinking oh. about it. Like I, I brought it up to Jean. Using so it as a marker. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, so I'm not clueless, but you know, I, you know. Uh, I'll, I'll have a few days to think about that. Okay, good. good. I'll, I'll tell you. On the, on the sure. Show. Yeah. Av- after the recording yes. is done. Yeah. If it if if Gene tells me something and it's not recorded, did it actually happen? Um, so what like what what's some of the cool stuff that you've seen at uh, Comic Con in years past? Uh, well, wasn't it that one year we went to the uh, the panel for what was it? Exy, Exy and uh, Kingsman. Kingsman. Oh, nice. We went to the panel for Kingsman. That's cool. And well, she went to the panel for Kingsman, and uh, yeah, and so Samuel L. Jackson pops up as the surprise awesome. guest. Awesome, and, I mean, the room just went nuts. I believe it. You know, and he and he and he said, "Hey, if anybody out here is in the audience who has a uh, passport, that wasn't him. Yeah, who has a passport right now and come up, sign up, and you can be in the movie. Very cool. Nice. So there's like one guy. I think he looks like a bad version of Snoop Dogg that's mm-hmm. kind of standing around in the in the club room. Yeah. When everybody gets blown up. Gotcha. Yeah. I think that was the guy. Awesome. That's cool. That's <laughs> yeah. very cool. Yeah. So but that was good. And then of course their uh follow up we weren't able to go to. Mm-hmm. I think we sat out and that was a year it was a year or two years after. Hmm? Oh yeah. We were we were trying to uh get into the Wonder Woman panel in the okay. same room. And so we lined up outside all day. All day. And by the time this thing rolled around at four, we were still 200 mm. people away mm-hmm. from getting in the room. And uh, that never happened. So we end up going to a promotion for Kingsman Golden Circle. Okay. Free, free, free booze and drinks. So nice. Us, went and saw the movie. Nice. <laughs> yep. So. Very cool. That and, uh, oh, we also did see the Walking Dead mm-hmm. panel. Was it Walking Dead? Saw that one and saw the panel for uh, Game of Thrones. Nice. Saw that Game of Thrones panel. Do you so, watch Walking Dead? I've never off, seen an off episode. Off and on, off and on, because it's, it's such a long series. Mm-hmm. I kind of watched it in the beginning, and then I kind of tapered off. And then when Negan shows up. I have no idea. Who is that? Uh, is that? Jeffrey, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. You remember a movie called the uh, the was it the Losers or the Expendables or something? Yeah, like yeah, that? yeah. He, he he was one of the guys in that. I think. Okay, yeah, I, dude, I uh, the f- I saw the first two Expendables. No, 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 it wasn't Expendables. Yeah, because the Expendables has everyone. That, that's, that was that's Stallone, Stallone, and Arnold and Chuck Norris. I think it was called the Losers. The Losers. Yeah, where it was basically a squad like that. Okay, meant to go. They I, either they were trying to eliminate them, or on the off chance that they did succeed, gotcha. they didn't, you know, plausible deniability or whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and he was uh, the comedian in Watchmen. I actually never saw Watchmen. 
I heard it was. I heard the movie was just okay. <clears throat> well, there's at least five versions, or yeah, there, three versions that I have on DVD. Okay, and yeah, there, there. I think there's there, there's like a extended director's cut on Amazon Prime right now. Yeah. Well, and there, I've got a five box DVD set at the awesome. house, so okay. it's still unopened. So it's, nice. it's probably in there somewhere, and then they're redoing it. Okay. With the original ending. Oh, okay. So, All right, I might check that out. Speaking of of fun, um, you know, uh, subversive comedy uh, comic movies, have you heard of Once Upon a Deadpool? No. Yeah. So it's it, it's available on <laughs> it's available on Amazon Prime, but it I and I've only watched uh, thirty minutes of it, but it is basically it's um like a Deadpool princess bride mashup oh, really? yeah so and i i think it's actually deadpool <laughs> narrating the story of his life to a grown-up fred savage oh really yeah so it's fred savage <laughs> now and he's like he's in the bedroom and he's like well wait a minute really? like yeah it oh that's yeah, funny yeah because uh yeah so i mean Na- naomi and i we saw the first two we saw both deadpools um we actually saw the second one on our anniversary, whatever year it came out. We were like, that's going to be the perfect anniversary movie. <laughs> she loves it. Yeah, we both do. Um, so then, yeah, I was scrolling through Amazon and I was like, once upon a Deadpool, like, wh- like, what is this? And then, yeah, I started watching it. I'm like, this is one of the greatest things ever. <laughs> so so you mentioned uh, highlights of Comic-Con. Mm-hmm. I got to meet uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. There. Nice. Very, very cool. And then get an autographed copy of uh, one of his... Uh, Graphic novels, okay, co-authored for for uh, the uh, Sherlock Holmes brother, right, yeah. right, so. and that that's that's the Mycraft Millcraft Mycroft Mycroft yeah. Holmes, yeah. very so, cool. Yeah, that was cool. Yes, and so you know the whole time I'm in line, I'm trying to think of something intelligent to mm-hmm. say because they're all saying, "Don't bring up the Lakers." Right? Yeah, he don't, he doesn't don't bring you know jerseys and all yeah, he doesn't want to hear that. He doesn't want to be known. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, needless to say, I, I ended up talking to him about basketball anyway okay well see you know if you if you ever <laughs> see him again yes i uh i told him i borrowed his sky you borrowed his sky hook. worked out pretty well okay me, so given my limited ability on the on the court now when you were at marshall so for people that don't know you played high school basketball mm-hmm. how many years did you play four years yeah so you played all four years yeah jv and and varsity uh, I mean, do you have any idea how many points, like on your best performance, do you know how many points you scored? Like 16? 23 to 26. 20. Okay. I do remember a 20, 20-ish point game. Was was it just because you were, you're 6'5", so you're, you're, a, you're a very tall person. Uh, 6'4". Uh, I, I've been telling people that you're 6'5", oh, okay. so we'll, we'll go. You know, if I need, uh, you know, someone to, to uh, present me, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll use you. Yes. Uh, Eugene you, Reed the, the second is six five. <laughs> he is the president of Region Six of the National Society of Black Engineers, even to this day. For all time. For all time. <laughs> and he was one of the engineers on the all of the Apollo space missions. There you go. So you go. well so if if well so um was it did you score that much just because you were three inches taller than everyone it was because the team that we played had just been introduced into our league and mm-hmm. none of their guys were over six feet gotcha gotcha that's how that happened. right and how, how much do you think people assumed like this guy's gonna be great at basketball because he's tall and black 
only the people who haven't seen basketball play. Right, yeah. And so, and of course, this was 30 plus years mm-hmm. ago. No no comparison to the game today right, at all. Right. So not not even close yeah. to, to AAU ball. Mm, the, right, yeah, you know, absolutely. That, you know, uh, middle schoolers are playing. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah. And but be, uh, Kurt Rambis was at one of our games. At one of your Marshall games? Yeah. Did he have like a nephew that was there, or he was that just was like, playing for the other team? Gotcha. Yeah, so he wasn't there to watch us. Right. <laughs> That's super interesting. Yeah, yeah. And so we said, "Oh, Kurt Rambis. Okay, well, you know, let's just make it look good." Yeah, yeah. 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 Ah, that's that's cool. Um, all right, so uh, we're gonna wrap up in a few minutes, but I want to thank Eugene for engaging me in this conversation. I what 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 are you saying, Marco? Saying something. It, Oh yeah. Okay. Well, so I I focused in a lot on science fiction. All right. So so Marco is is indicating she wants me to ask about Van Halen. What what do you want me to ask about Van Halen? His love of Van Halen or living down the street from the Van Halen house? Was it down the street? Oh, uh, it was. It was somewhere in Pasadena. It wasn't okay. down the street, but you know, I moved from there when I was fourteen, so I don't remember oh, okay. the the space. But yeah. So talk talk to us about Van Halen. Well, essentially, uh, Van Halen was a small-time rock band that sure did some came things. out of the Pasadena area. They did, and the Van Halen brothers grew up in Pasadena, correct? And they did, and I went to the same high school that they did. Oh, they went albeit, to Marshall. Yeah, they did. Albeit ten years after the fact. Okay, so I had no clue. Who you they you were. you didn't have any interaction with them, none whatsoever. But I was a fan of their music because it was you know hard charging, mm-hmm. hard hitting. Yes. It didn't stop. It just right. kept going, going, going. Yeah. And everybody knew who they were. Mm-hmm. And the radio played them all yeah. the time. And you go to someone's house, and they've got the 45s and the entire album. And they're playing them all yeah. the time. And then, of course, the uh, tapes, too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, and, the, and they were from the area. In fact, David Lee Roth, back yeah. when he was the front man, he lived in the area, too. Okay. He lived off of uh, Orange Grove. Yeah. Oh, nice. Where they, staged, where they staged the Rose Bowl. Well, so, and... This is this is one of the things that I have I have referenced as I have gotten older is I really started listening to rock music like that being my predominant the predominant music that I was into probably like ju- junior and senior year of high school and it, uh, and then I got a lot of like uh, you're a black dude and you like rock music like how does that happen <laughs> and you know, it's and what was always super um, like annoying is. It's coming from super suburban white kids who love rap. And it's like, well, I, okay, just how you have radios and MTV and you listen to Public Enemy or like DOS Effects or, you know, whomever. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, you love Wu Tang Clan. So, like, why is it so bizarre that I actually like the Beatles and Pink Floyd? And, it, and the thing that I wanted to say to people, it's like, well, I actually hang out with white people. So. I'm I'm hanging out with Mike Grubb and C.A. Locke, so they're listening to Weezer and Pink Floyd. You actually don't even like black people at all, and you're listening to rap, so you gotta you gotta figure that thing out. But one of the things I would reference is that I remember you being into Van Halen. I remember you having sheet music for Van Halen oh, at yeah. the house. You you the, played the piano when you, parts, yeah you played you know. piano when you were younger. I, I tried. Yeah, you you taught me how to play chopsticks. <laughs> See, there I remember that, and I remember. 
Were you into classical music yeah. at all? Yeah, yeah because I, I remember you, you uh, I don't know if you bought them or mom and dad bought them for you, but we had those busts of like uh, uh, Beethoven, Beethoven and, and Mozart. Yeah, and Bach. And, yeah, and Bach on the, uh, on, the, on the piano. Yeah. And when I was a kid, because I, since I didn't know who that was, I thought one of them was George Washington. Okay. You know, similar hair. Sure, sure. Similar, you know, old, old white guy, you know, powdered wig. wig. Yeah. And then I think I assumed the other one was Abraham Lincoln because I'm like, well, it doesn't look like Abe Lincoln, but he doesn't if, have a hat. Yeah, if, if that's Washington, that's got to be Lincoln. Yeah, I was like, no top hat, no beard. Uh, two, but, of, two of the three Bs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but, but uh, yeah, I I would tell people I'm like, well, yeah, my oldest brother like had Van Halen sheet music, and I remember you like playing the chords for Jump like on the piano, like that. So, so I was the inspiration for Ross and his keyboard. Ross not too many from people from Friends. Okay, no yeah. many pe- not too many people know that. Ross played piano on Friends. <laughs> he had a little synthesizer. Oh, he did. Yeah, yeah. See, <laughs> now now I'm gonna go back and and watch some Friends because I I don't remember that at all. On the few times that that did come across. Okay, the TV, all right. It a- so it it wasn't an integral part of the of the show. No. Okay. I don't think. So. I don't know. Right. You you weren't you weren't deep in the Friends catalog. No. I actually did. This is this is one hundred percent true. Um, I was working at the Ritz Bors Movie Theater at the time that the series finale of Friends came on, and I usually worked the five o'clock to eleven o'clock shift, so five p.m. to eleven p.m. And two weeks before the Friends series finale, I actually put in a a request for my boss, and I said, "Can I either work the morning shift or?" have the day off so that I can see the series finale of friends. And I think he was like, are you serious? I was like, dude, I'm like, I love friends that much. So, so, um, uh, so what, um, couple of, couple of Van Halen questions. So when you were in high school, I mean like what did, did they have like a a big plaque of Eddie Van Halen's face? Like this is the greatest person that has, made it out of our school or not at all or did the administration even care they didn't even care didn't even care were you super salty when sammy hagar showed up on the scene and no. you were like who is this clown no, no you, you i like, wasn't you i liked wasn't hagar? so invested okay in in that particular set of guys that mm-hmm. uh, that you know sammy hagar just you know did the yoko ono thing right you know, right just destroyed everything but uh, no I'd, I'd like him too because mm-hmm. he had the same energy and drive yeah. If not more, gotcha. Than David Lee Roth did, right? So, right. And what uh, what were some of the other bands you were listening to then? I don't know. Okay, it's hard to hard to think. I mean, I wore I wore those tapes out. Yeah. Yeah. All right, but you 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 were full on full on Halen. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Something I'm wondering if you know. Uh, so apparently, when Van Halen came out people referred to their music as teeth metal because they were smiling so much because it was the whole idea of you know before them heavy metal was motorhead and angry and mm-hmm. like scary and women were afraid to show up and then yeah Van Halen really sort of ushered in the Motley Crues and the White Snakes and the the glam metal and you know dudes who wore more wake make more more makeup than their girlfriends did that could have been because of David Lee Roth yeah, yeah. His dad is a dentist, or was a dentist. Awesome. And actually, one of my teachers, he was her dentist. Awesome. So, you know, the movie industry and then mm-hmm. later videos was a big vehicle for dentists because yeah. 
people were smiling. Awesome. <laughs> uh, I have uh, one more music-related question. Do you um do you listen to Fleetwood Mac? I feel like I saw yeah. you had a copy of Rumors yeah. in your truck at one point. I think yeah, it yeah, was, it was in the bin. At okay. The, uh, the warehouse back gotcha. then when, when you had to buy music you physically had to go to a right yeah you had to go somewhere put not it in your hand not download it onto exactly. your uh your your bat your dick tracy watch exactly uh i'm like did you listen to rumors or was it a thing like you bought it and you're like i ah, and you listen to i think i wanted to listen to like one or two songs mm-hmm. and I just had it okay for the, you know and just the rest of it was yeah there. all right did you know that the original fleetwood mac back before um, Stevie Nicks or Lindsey Buckingham was in the group, so they were originally kind of a blues hmm. band. But they they wrote the original the original version of Black Magic Woman really? that Santana made famous. Like, really? yeah, Fleetwood Mac did it. Like back okay. in like 1971 or something. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I found that super interesting. The interesting thing you find when you dive deeply into music is that a lot of those melodies and rhythms cut across all the genres Mm -hmm. that are out there yeah so it's not so hard to believe that musician a makes musicians b's and c's and d's music yeah it it, it's just if it's musical it'll it'll exist anywhere in in multiple forms yeah so it doesn't matter how it's marketed or who it's marketed to it's good it's either going to sound good or it isn't well and i'm i'm also particularly interested in sort of um, cross-genre artist collaboration and then also sort of like cross-racial um, collaborations or like, oh, this person, the, a song that this person made famous, this person actually wrote. So um, Nothing Compares to You, the song that was Sinead O'Connor's big mm-hmm. single, Prince wrote. Yep. Prince wrote um, the fact that a lot of the like the the big boy bands that are out now or not out now but were big in the early 2000s so like the NSYNCs, the Backstreet Boys the dudes from Full Force produced oh, all really? of those yeah really bowlegged Lou mm-hmm. yeah they, like they that's what they do now like okay. they're they're producers and yeah so the well, like like yeah Timbaland and uh, Nelly Furtado mm-hmm. he, he produced all of her absolutely you know, latest stuff. absolutely yeah because and I I had known that because. So there, there is a, um, there used to be a, a kind of underground hip hop skateboard magazine called Ego Trip, hmm. and they put out a couple of books, and they have this one book called Ego Trip's Big Book of Racism, hmm. which, and it's, it's a lot of mostly humorous takes on just like all the crazy racist stuff that happens in the world, but they have a whole section called Blacks Behind Whites, and so it's like, oh, you may not know, like, you know, here are these. Um, you know, these very famous collectives of white people, but they were secretly black people were secretly behind or not secretly sometimes, but like sometimes, you know, you didn't know about it. So part of it was the 1986 Celtics that had, you know, uh, Kevin McHale and Larry Bird mm-hmm. and Bill Walton. And it was like Casey Jones was their coach, you know, and then, yeah. And then there was a whole thing on like, you know, Backstreet Boys in sync, uh, you know, 98 degrees or whatever. And yeah, like the, yeah, you know, the full force guys produced them. Hmm. the The manager of New Kids on the Block was actually a black dude from Boston, and I think hmm. he might have been the guy that managed Bell Biv DeVoe or okay. or New Edition. And in you know, the beginning. in yeah. the beginning, um, yeah. So yeah, like you know, he was. So yeah, I find that very interesting. That yeah, the that that whole group, uh, um, was uh, yeah. Well, and then you can turn that around in the case of uh, Whitney Houston and uh, Dolly Parton. Mm-hmm. 
with mm-hmm. I Will Always Love You. Yep, you know, yep. Because she sang it in yes. Best Little Best Whorehouse, Whorehouse in, Texas. in Texas. And then Whitney just took yeah, it, took it to, to the, the next extreme. level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then something else that I also find super interesting in that vein is, and uh, I, I apologize to the 10 people that are listening to uh, this podcast, but, you know, I talk about the things that I find interesting do you know who Rod Temperton is? No. So Rod Temperton is the he worked with Quincy Jones on Off the Wall and Thriller. Okay. But really so the funkiest songs that are on Off the Wall and Thriller, so I think he wrote the song Thriller, he wrote the song Off the Wall, um Baby Be Mine, Rock With You, but like really like the most kind of like funk heavy r&b mm-hmm. you know quote unquote air quotes black sounding songs that michael jackson did this dude rod temperton wrote he's actually a white british guy who was also he wrote um the song mystery that anita baker made very famous mm, okay. yeah if if you if you listen to her her big album which i think might be called mystery like he wrote that um also oddly enough the manhattan transfer did a did a version of mystery but but anyways yeah this guy rod temperton is a very white british man um who wrote some of the he 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 was like the original holland oats like if holland oats was one guy it's stuff where it's like oh like a white guy (laughs) made that and he was a part of the band heat wave in the 70s that had the song boogie nights boogie nights yeah yeah Yeah, so and and we did have that uh off the wall album in the house too yeah what and what's super interesting about that is i had Thriller was obviously was the first album that I knew about, but, but I didn't really listen. I was a little too young for Thriller, mm-hmm. so I remember Beat It and Billie Jean and Thriller, but Bad was really the album that okay. like I grew up with. But okay. I remember getting to college, and people would always talk about Off the Wall, and I was like, uh, what is that? And then, yeah, I had no idea. Well, so. that's, that's how you show your knowledge, by going three albums back mm-hmm. and saying, well, mm-hmm. I've been listening since yeah. then. But uh, on, on the... On the side of, or on the part of the British artist uh, writing a lot of those songs, a lot of those guys listen to uh, rock and roll and and soul. Oh yeah, and, and you you know from the United States, absolutely. Back when it was all in the South, absolutely. You know, absolutely. And blues and they listen to all that. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so and yeah, then that influence and then and then they came back with here here's what we got right. You know right. So. Yeah, because e- even to this day, I, I'm 40 years old. I literally cannot find a black person under the age of 80 who has listened to a single blues song. All The only people that I know that listen to the blues are white guys. Mm-hmm. Like, I've, I've literally never met a black, you know, a young black man. Do you listen to the blues, Marco? Is that is that why you're making that face? <laughs> we, we, yeah. We've gone to see Buddy Guy a few times. He... he pops up in San Diego on occasion. So, and and, I, and he brings everyone out. Right. And B- Buddy Guy is definitely the blues, but I I would put Buddy Guy and BB King in the Bob Marley, Miles Davis sphere and as far as oh, almost everyone Yeah, almost everyone has heard a Bob Marley song, but there most people that I would say that are into Bob Marley are not into reggae. Cause it's, it's like that joke of like, dude, I love reggae. I love reggae, man. Well, who do you like? Bob Marley, bro. <laughs> Which albums? Well, I don't know albums, but like redemption song, dude, I love redemption song. 
what else? Uh, I think he did a cover of I Shot the Sheriff by Eric Clapton. Well, no, that was actually a Bob Marley and the Whalers song. (laughs) Are you sure, bro? It's like the same thing with Miles Davis. Like, dude, I love jazz. Miles Davis. It's like, yeah. But but, but you can't expect everyone to dive deeply into, into, you know, a particular piece of, or an artist that made a particular piece of music that they enjoy. Sure. Because... There again, all of those sounds cross pollinate right. through everything. Very true. And so, you know, you could like this particular sound and you can find it in a lot mm-hmm. of different places. And then if you actually, you know, then like how they did it and then dive yeah. into their other things, you may find one or two more, you know, but most, most people aren't going to do that. I feel you. I feel you. I just, I, the, the, the last piece I will say on black people in the blues is I, I've, I've met a lot of black people in my life. They've been into many types of music, you know, some you might expect, R&B, you know, uh, contemporary soul, quiet storm, rap, jazz, funk, avant-garde, you know, and I've met a fair amount of black people who are really, you know, like yourself, into Van Halen or into classical or into, you know, Stockhausen or Philip Glass. I I literally do not know if... Pink Floyd. And Pink Floyd, yeah. I literally do not know if I've met a black person who's like dude i'm gonna just play some sunny boy williamson when i get home how how many black people have you actually spoken to who like the blues but it's not buddy guy or bb king it's uh i don't know Sunhouse. i had a roommate who was originally from mississippi okay so he was very steeped in the blues gotcha and he played them so one person (laughs) in the almost 50 years you've been on this earth one guy and that's secondhand knowledge for you, right? Right, yeah. All right, so, yeah. So my, do you know what uh, that gentleman's name is? I, I do, but I... You, you, you I don't, don't want to... You yes, don't want to... Protect the... Protect, pr- protect the, his uh, privacy. Exactly. Sh- shout out to my man from Mississippi that was a, a roommate of my brother's who, who likes the blues. Do you know what town in Mississippi he was from? Greenville. Okay, yeah. Sounds, sounds right. Mm-hmm. Nice. Shout out to Greenville, Mississippi as well. Uh, well, Gene, I want to thank you for this conversation. Uh, it's always good to connect with you. And, you know, this is a little bit of a different format from how you and I usually chat. So I appreciate you so. coming, uh, you know, uh, coming down to the studio. I also appreciate you as a big brother for helping show me the way, you know, you were you were definitely a very positive, strong influence on my life just from being an excellent example of manhood, being an excellent example of black manhood. Marco, are you completely disagreeing with everything that I'm saying? Are you like, no, if, no, if, no. if if you only on, knew, if I go on tour, you're, you're the road manager. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Yeah. Because, you know, cause I, you know, I, I only see him in, in bits and pieces. So, so if, if in your head, you're just like, ah, oh, yeah, but if, if you knew the Eugene that I know, you wouldn't say this, you know, no shade if, you know, if you want to tell me some secrets later, but no, I, but I it's, it's like back in the day you had dot matrix printing. Mm-hmm. And so you only printed out enough stuff so that you could get the image. Right. I, right. I think that's what's happening. That, that is what's happening here. That's, that's a very good analogy, but no, I, yeah, I, I really appreciate you. Um, everything that you've done. And even down to my senior year of college, you paid my rent, which I'm sure you remember. I don't. Okay. Well, you, you paid my rent the entire senior year of oh, college. Okay. The checks were always late, and we uh, racked up a lot of late fees, <laughs> um, so we didn't get our security deposit back. But you, but you paid the rent, which oh, I appreciate. You've okay. always you've always been there for me. Uh, you you know yeah you you know even down to the fact that 
you gave me my very first driving lesson, which was that a very I, that sweet I do memory. remember. Yeah, that I do remember. Um, and I, I I will tell this story very quickly because I know we have to wrap up. But and so I thank you for all that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I've you know I got got to honor the people that have helped mold me into the person that I am. But um, yeah, for the people that are listening. So, so my brother Gene was already in college by the time that he went to college when I was in elementary school. So in 1993, our dad got a new job. We moved from the West Coast to the East Coast. And the last day that uh, we were in California, Gene kept saying, he's like, oh, like, you know, there's something like, you know, he's like, you know, make sure you're around at, you know, this time, like two o'clock, there's this thing I want to do for you. And so... We drove to the parking lot of the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California, and then you you were like, okay, you, you know, you're like, get out of the car, and, um, you know, I got out, and you're like, sit in the driver's seat, and you sat in the passenger seat, and you, and I think a little bit before that, you know, you were showing me how to work the clutch and how to work the gas and how to do the right proportion of everything, and then you know, you were telling me things and asking me questions, and then you had me get in the driver's seat, and you said. You're, you're going to try it. You're going to drive around the parking lot. So that was the very first driving lesson I ever got. And I, I was 14 years old. And it's it's one of, the th- one of the things that I will always remember about you. So I appreciate you. I love you. Um, you're a, a fantastic person. And before we go, I just have a couple of questions for you. Um, if there were... Now, by yeah. the way, there's big yellow signs in that parking lot that say... Uh... Driving instruction is strictly prohibited. Mm. <laughs> not a result of what we were doing. Okay. Just, just the sum total of okay. everybody else. Okay. So it, it, there's not a direct correlation <laughs> no, between. No. All right. Although yeah. I think they saw us and said, okay, that's it. Yeah, we're done. <laughs> done. Well, it, yeah, it was it was good then to be able to, you know, to have that moment before, uh, you know, the, the, the modern society of, you know, every everything yeah. is tightly controlled. everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Um, so before we go, if there were five, either, so I'll, I'll give you two options. If you can either talk about five very cool black male characters from science fiction that maybe don't necessarily get the love that they should, you know, so your Miles Dysons, your Richard Daystroms, or if there are, um, five, inventions created by black scientists so e- so either five prominent black sci-fi figures five prominent um black scientists from history or maybe a combination of the two three of one two of the other well who would the, they the be the first inventor i can think of is garrett morgan mm-hmm. where he invented the stoplight mm-hmm. automatic stoplight yeah it, red yellow green yeah. Simple as that before it was either stop signs or that that little bar that came came down sure. that said stop. Yeah. And he and among his other inventions was the gas mask. Oh right. Which, okay. Yeah. Of which he saved I think a hundred or more guys mm-hmm. in a coal mine accident. Yeah. Where he actually put on the mask and had other guys do it and go in and grab yeah. guys out. I mean and I just found out recently about I knew he had he had invented it, but mm-hmm. I didn't realize he had actually you know put it to use and actually saved. Yeah, people yeah, that's until, pretty prominent. You know, until I was a, an adult, mm-hmm. so put him up there. Uh, 
course, uh, Lewis Latimer. Yeah, who, uh, Lewis helped Latimer. out Edison with mm-hmm. uh, making the light bulb right. viable. Yeah, by creating the carbon filament. Yeah, which was the uh, which was the key to mm-hmm. getting it to work yeah. more than just for a few right. milliseconds. Right. Yeah, and and also <laughs> apparently, uh, I mean, he had tons of other patents to his credit, like a yeah. ridiculous amount. And and a lot guys like that usually do because mm-hmm. they you know they stumble across different things and right. go off on tangents yeah. and you know that whole process is messy and produces a lot of things yeah. that you may not know what the actual practical application mm-hmm. is until years down the yeah. road so i mean even edison was like that too yeah so and so. there's and there's actually a uh, a lewis latimer museum up in new york okay yeah because okay. i uh the, i think the woman who at least used to run it i believe i'm getting my names correct uh i believe her name is monica montgomery she actually came down and spoke to the treehouse students because we 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 did a whole we used to do cultural literacy every Mm -hmm. tuesday so we had we had um, black folks in different professions and our focus was to we really wanted to highlight the professions where our children don't usually don't see people who look like us in those fields so that the it's expanded and yeah so she spoke a lot about mythic thing to them absolutely real tangible goal yeah right see when, when it comes to these lists i yeah get a complete blank all right but all right so we we got uh <laughs> so, but we got garrett morgan not garrett morris who was on saturday night live and played martin's boss on martin not him uh but garrett morgan lewis latimer all right well i think we could put uh richard daystrom of the daystrom institute yeah. you know fictional character from yeah. the star trek universe miles dyson who miles worked for dyson. skynet um exactly. you know i mean you know whether Skynet was brother was, from another planet. Right? Bro- the brother from another planet, an excellent film. Um, who would? Yeah, uh, Charles Drew. Yes. Yeah. Can you t- can you tell the good people who Charles Drew? He was? Uh, separated uh, blood plasma from whole blood mm-hmm. and was able to store that so that it could be uh, used for transfusions later because separating the plasma and the blood allows you to store it. Uh, without refrigeration, yeah. what have you, and the rest is history. Yes, I I also heard that the the person who either invented the ironing board or came up with the idea, you know, like for the the for the collapsible, yeah, for mechanism. the collapse, yeah, and it was either the ironing board and possibly the folding chair. Like it might have been one person who came up with those or two different people, but I heard they were both black. That's yeah, I I sure not yeah. sure about that one, yeah. But. Yeah, it could could be. Mm-hmm. It, it's not impossible. Right, right. Yeah. And then, of course, we had, um, you know, the women that were featured in Hidden Figures, mm-hmm. the human computers. Yeah. Catherine, Johnson Catherine Johnson was one of, she's the one I know her name. Her right. name always comes to the top of my head. Um, yeah, I mean, and then we also had Mae Jemison, who was, what, the first black first woman black in space? black woman in space. Yeah. And, yeah, and something else I remember, I remember watching an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Mae Jemison and had she, a cameo. She was a transporter operator. Oh, really? Yeah, and okay. you po- you pointed her out to me. You, you said, that's Mae Jemison. And I, I think I'm probably, like, might have rolled my eyes and been like, mm, I don't Oop. care. Yeah, I was like, who? And then you're, you're, you're like, oh, no, she's very important. She was the first black woman in space. Yeah. And at the time, I did not understand the significance of that nor appreciate it Mm -hmm. um but it was it was little small things like that like that that you in addition to grandma and grandpa and everyone that we grew up with but you know you did a lot of that well i realized at that point in life that 
you know, a lot of those influences came to me from multiple sources. Mm -hmm. And so I figured I'd just be a resource in that respect too. So, so just add, add my little bit to the pie to, uh, lend a hand wherever I could. I appreciate that. Uh, if there are three Van Halen songs that you recommend everyone listen to, even it's this, even if it's the super obvious ones. Well, Panama is always an earworm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just comes up all the time. Yeah. And it's just easy to say Panama, yeah. Panama all the time. And, and the funny thing is, is back when I was listening to that, I didn't yeah. listen to the full set of lyrics. Right. Because some of everyone seems to slur their words mm-hmm. whenever they uh, sing, just yeah. so they can bend it to make it fit either sure. the timing or the yeah. you know or or rhyming. And so, as far as looking into deeper meanings for these things, mm-hmm. it's like I wasn't doing that back yeah, then. No. So that one, uh, I I still like his you know eruption. Okay, where he he does the the intro. Is that eruption is is pure pure Eddie Van Halen just gotcha. doing his just I mean mm-hmm. just making the guitar yeah. sing everything every little note you can yeah. think of, and then uh, I like uh, dreams, okay, which was mostly uh, synthesizer, okay. So I like that one. I mean, you know, I I could I could go on. You could go on. Yeah, I, I can come up with those because right. it's easy yeah, to remember easy. music. Um, and then, of course, yeah. you know, he did the uh, he did the uh, Eddie Van Halen did the guitar guitar solo for uh, "Beat It." Yes, yes, he did. Yeah. Yes, he did. I remember learning that in high school. Mm-hmm. I yeah, I thought that was very cool. And isn't um, isn't the music? But oddly enough, I didn't talk too much about Jimi Hendrix because I didn't really listen to him then. I sure. discovered him later on right. and then figured out how instrumental he was yeah. in you know, in his his music. Yes. And influential. Yes. And so, you know, like when everyone talks about their Mount Rushmore guitar mm-hmm. players, Jimi Hendrix is on there, Eddie Van Halen's on there, Eric Clapton's on there. And uh the other two they, they kinda those positions kind of, you know, go back and forth okay. depending on what you hear or what right. you remember. Who, uh, so who, who would be, um, you know, a couple of people that ebb and flow, who flux in and out. See how I'm, I'm, I'm tying it back together to I, science. I couldn't tell you right now. Couldn't tell you. Dave Mustaine from Megadeth. Have you? No, haven't. <laughs> I don't know. I don't listen to Megadeth ever. I've never. Um, Prince. I, oh yeah, Prince. Yeah. yeah, definitely Prince. And oh. and I didn't talk about Prince either. Right. Because. I kind of think of Prince as a given. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's such a he's such a mass appeal. Yes, that it's like you say Prince. Yeah, everybody. Likes yeah, Prince. everybody likes Prince. You know, everybody likes Prince. You get into that. Well, did you re- listen to this Prince and that mm-hmm. Prince and that Prince? It's like I just listen to Prince. Yeah, a friend of mine turned me on to his music, and it's like okay, yeah, it's great. Awesome, awesome. Well, on that note, uh, we will we will wrap it up, Gene. Once again, thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for. Uh, giving me on the mic awesome and then hopefully it wasn't too torturous for you we'll find out in a few minutes no it was good i i liked it it was awesome (laughs) great thanks brother all right thanks mike love you too